0: Welcome to Parent to Parent, Real Life Tips to Raise Resilient Kids,
1: a podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown.
0: This is Chrissy Jambowski and I have two young kids.
1: And I'm Beth Sonelli, and I have two adult kids.
0: Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids.
1: We're glad you're here. Let's get started.
0: Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Chrissy. Hi, and I'm Beth Ann. And today we're here to speak with our very first guest on our very first episode, um, Kim Porter, who is from Be a Part of the Conversation. She's the executive director, and she is here to speak with us a little bit about her organization and what they do to support parents, as well as her own family's journey through to recovery and resiliency and lessons learned in that experience and what she can share with us um, today. So, Kim, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you guys.
0: So can you tell us a bit about what is Be A Part of the Conversation and what your organization does to support parents?
2: Sure. So Be A Part of the Conversation is a nonprofit organization. It's been around for 10 years. And we raise awareness about substance use, misuse, and addiction. And our programs might be um, kind of focused on prevention through um, through early intervention, intervention, crisis management, and supporting lifelong recovery and everything in between. Uh, So we we normally would have programs in person pre-COVID, but since then we've been online. We plan to in the future do both um, so that we don't lose that opportunity to be virtually as well. But our programs basically feature um, a panel usually of people who have some expertise in addiction, in um, prevention, in uh, treatment, and then we also oftentimes incorporate people who are in recovery themselves. We feel that that's really important to focus on the um, happy outcomes of this, that there is treatment, that recovery is possible, but it also, having those folks share their personal stories really helps to reduce stigma and, and shine that light on something that can be a very scary and intimidating subject. Um, So we're very fortunate that our speakers range from um, we've had medical professionals, treatment professionals. Um, There's Mm -hmm. someone named Ben Court, who is a national expert on cannabis, which is obviously a really big issue these days. Um, He's been with us a number of times. There's a terrific guy named Kevin McCauley, who's a physician. He's based in the the Southwest. I think he's living in New Mexico now, but we've to him in person and in the spring he'll be with us virtually uh, just to help people understand addiction. Um, we have him on our YouTube channel by the way which yeah. I should mention um, that we have a channel with several of our programs recorded and Dr. McCauley's is one of the most viewed. That's a really great one. Um, so basically we just bring these folks out to the public so that they have this opportunity to be with people they might not normally hear from and we keep it um, as local as possible too. So while we have national speakers, we also have local treatment providers, inpatient, outpatient, therapists, and also folks from the school district. So there might be, if we're really focused on, say for example, Downtown, it might be someone from your student assistance or SAP program, um, uh, those leaders. Um, it might be someone from the CTC. It could be guidance counselors, uh, anyone who can really help us to understand what's happening with our community um, and and also bring in kind of the, the world's broader perspective on it as well.
1: So, Kim, you know, when we, when we look at the the organizations, I think it's always really interesting for, for us in, in the world of prevention to kind of look at how we got there and our own personal stories, because for so many of us, um, you know, we're sort of drawn to this work because of our own journeys and our own personal experiences that we have. Um, in in this field and so I um, know I'd like you thank you for sharing sort of your family's story and how that um, sort of brings you to to the work that you're doing today so um, if you could kind of you know share that with us I think that's always helpful for folks to listen to hear
2: that oh sure yes and I and I'm very grateful to my family for being comfortable with me yeah, sharing. Oh, like, sure.
1: I mean, and you know, I have I to can say understand I,
2: that I, I, I'm a very, very fortunate parent in that my son is alive. My daughter is alive. You know, they've both been through an awful lot and and I um, I can't count sadly, I cannot count how many parents I have become very close to in the last eleven years, um, knowing milling them through through this journey um, who've lost children. And it just, um, day doesn't go by that I don't um, get on my knees and say, thank you for my kids being alive and and still with us. Because this is, this is a potentially fatal disease, the disease of addiction. And, you know, my son was on his way to some really, really scary stuff. He was there in a lot of cases, but, you know, it started for us and, and, you know, I should back up and say, yes, I have two kids. My son is about to turn 33 and my daughter uh, on Wednesday will be thirty. So oh. um yeah, my baby's thirty. Oh. How's that? Yeah, <laughs> no. awesome. I'm, um, I'm
1: with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. God. Mm-hmm.
2: But you know, when they were when they were really young, like even grade school years, um, what's what's really interesting and again, thank you so much to my daughter for letting me talk about this because I think it's really important. Um, if I look at, at those early years and I think about my two kids, it's truly my daughter who kind of weighed on my weight heavy on my heart, even more so than my son. My son was a breeze. He was, um, he seemingly very effervescent and lighthearted. He was kind of our I now know the term mascot, which is a family sculpting kind of a thing. You know, he was our mm-hmm. he was our class clown a little bit, you know, but in a lovely way, and always supportive of his younger sister. They're three years apart, and so when Anna was um, four. Four years old, she was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. When she was a little bit older, um, she was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. And uh, her dad, Mike's um, husband, also has Tourette syndrome. Thank you, Michael, for letting me talk about you too. We're very close friends, you know about I'm um, He's also a neurologist. He's a neurologist, so here we are in this home with a daughter. Oh. He has Tourette, so we at least had loads of information and resources and understanding about it. She been mm-hmm. being a therapist from a very young age to deal with that OCD, which was pretty debilitating when she was that mm-hmm. young. So she was very much our focus, and Daniel, as I said, was like, you know, her hero. He was he was supportive. Mm-hmm. She wrote papers about him when she got older about how supportive and wonderful mm-hmm. he was. And um, and so um, you know, but I look back and I think I think we gave her so much of our attention that we maybe missed some signs with Daniel. You know, um, he was very good at keeping it on the down low for a number of years, but what we found out many years later, like after he had some sobriety um, we found, because once you're, once you're sober from drug addiction, you're not using anymore and you're in some kind of recovery program, which he has been um, become very honest, hopefully. And, and disclose your your story. And he when he did to us, when he told us what um, what had gone on. The first time he got high, he was 13 years old, and that blew our minds. I mentioned his dad's a physician. I worked from home as a graphic designer. I had the, the luxury of working from home and being there when they walked in the door at 3:30. Um, I was the Kool Aid mom. He was the, he was the drummer in a little little band. So everybody was at our house because you can't take the drums everywhere. So everybody was always at our house, which I loved. And, you know, I was there and I missed it. And his dad missed it. You know, how is that possible? It wasn't until he got in trouble when he was 18, when he was a senior in high school, that that was the first time we knew that he was even smoking cannabis, you know. So um, I did a lot of beating myself up for how did I miss this? What I've learned since then is um, for someone like my son who this really made him feel good. Um, this might be what fills that hole. And I've heard this described this way dozens of times by people in recovery. I always thought like I had this hole, I always felt like I didn't fit in, and then I drank, or then I got smoked some weed, or I did, you know, or I I snorted my Adderall, whatever it is, it made them feel right. So yes. you're not necessarily seeing, you know, their their quick um, downfall from this. It's not if it, if we had big bad consequences that happened the first yeah. time we tasted alcohol, none of us would do it again. You know, I mean, right. it, it's that's not how this works. It feels good for the person it's, that it's going to become problematic for. If there's somebody who's like stinky drunk and left their their you know evidence behind. I'm not as worried about them, frankly, because they're not being as careful as my son was. My son had to be masterful at hiding the smell, hiding, you know, I I was finding visine everywhere. Why is that? He said it was allergies. No, I know it was not allergies because he had red eyes from smoking a lot of cannabis. So um, I missed a lot. And, And again, he never in school, right under the radar, you know, never kicked up a fuss. Nobody... Had, he was an average student. I heard a parent in a support group once say, if yep, my daughter got a B. She was trying way too hard. That was kind of, <laughs> you know, like um, he was an okay student, you know, and, and he was bright and we knew that, but, um, you know, there, was, there were no red flags. Uh, and so it really wasn't until things came to a head that we had to take action. And um, my daughter was a senior in high school, he, oh, sorry. I should mention too. And by the way, I was a home of school president. I was active yeah. in a lot of things too. Yeah. So, again, we all think that. Yeah, you know, from a prevention perspective, he was in. Um, he was in active in music. He was not a big athlete, but he had. He was he had great friend groups. All the things that we think are supposed to, and I was high, heavily involved in their lives, in their school yeah. lives. So all the things that are these protect sectors, and yet, so so you know, that not my kid, not uh, a thing. So true, it's not a not so a true. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, you know, Daniel went off to when he graduated from high school, he went off to college. He went to the University of Arizona to study architecture. So good student, he got into some good yeah. programs. Good enough students to do that. His first year. He did okay. He got he had like a B average. Um, But that October, like what, two, three months in, he was in Tucson, Arizona, so he's far away from me. um, He got caught smoking weed in his dorm. And um, he was then put on probation, not academic probation, but he was going to be kicked out of his dorm if he didn't, um, if he got caught again. So he did get caught again, and that was over Christmas break. And so he had to come home that first Christmas break and holiday break and tell us what happened. And I didn't know anything back then, so what did I do? After break, I flew out to Tucson with him, and I helped him find an apartment. And we did have him see a counselor who, um, this is another important lesson learned here, you know, that, that we took him to see our daughter's mood and anxiety disorder specialist because we didn't know this was a drug addiction in the making or already there. We weren't, yeah. we weren't there yet. We weren't ready to see it that way because it's mm-hmm. cannabis. there's weed. It's mm-hmm. Polish, you know? Yep. And he was 19 we, at this time, Kim? So he would have been 19. Okay. Uh, just turned, just turned 19. Okay. Um, again, we didn't know his history. We didn't know. This is all we knew is what he got in trouble for. Yep. So we, we took him to see our daughter's mood and anxiety disorder specialist. She met with him Daniel said um, he gave her permission to talk with his dad and me. So we were all there. So she met with him individually and she brought Michael and me into the office. And she said in front of Daniel, come on, didn't you guys get high in high school or in college? She said, didn't you get high in in college? You know, now, Daniel, this will make you apathetic. That was was the one fact she had, right, was that it will make you apathetic. So it's a great thing when you're a college student. Mm -hmm. But basically, she told us we were overreacting. She told us how remorseful he was. What is this remorseful about was that he got caught, got caught. Mm. Um, And guess what? He didn't tell her everything. He didn't tell her um, that he was also snorting Adderall by this time, that he was drinking alone in his room, that he was consuming a ton of alcohol. That He was trying other drugs, that how much marijuana he was smoking. Why would he tell her all that? He told her just enough for him to believe his remorsefulness, um, to believe that he was going to make some changes, um, to think he was being transparent when he really wasn't because he wanted to keep going. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted to be able to keep using. Mm-hmm. And and so we understand that now. And I frankly don't blame this woman. She's perfectly good at her field, which is mood and anxiety yeah. disorders. It would have been nice for her to have a little bit better. And actually I've had, had coffee with her years later and, you know, kind of gave her a little update and it yeah. wasn't like a, it wasn't me wagging my finger at her. I just wanted to sort of mm-hmm. teachable moment. And it turns out she has since become very much more educated. Um, so she's had some training and has a better understanding. So, um, you know, what we could have done differently was taken, been brave enough to take someone oh. who understood substance use. You yeah. know, we. But why not? If if my kid had any other mm. symptom of a, right. if he had a lump, if he had a weird rash, if he, oh, you know, good I Speak seek out a specialist. And rule out the worst case scenario. Um, so I wish we had been um, brave enough to say, let's take you to somebody who really understands them. Yeah. Because that's really what we were talking about. So mm-hmm. um, he went back to school. We should not, another lesson learned, he should not have gone back for a second year because after the first year, his grades were starting to come down. Yeah. His physical appearance changed so much. He had lost a tremendous amount of weight that was the adderall mm-hmm. by the way he does not have right. ADHD so he was getting it illegally he was snorting it and mm-hmm. he loved the feeling that amphetamines gave him which is what adderall is yep. a stimulant um, and he he also had always been a little unhappy with his he wanted to be thinner than he was and so this helped in that regard and so yeah. he was but not only was he thinner he was flat my my you know, um lively, animated, yeah. creative yeah. changes major musician, artist son was flat. Yeah. The loving, sweet kid was no longer emotionally there. Mm. I would cry in front of him and he wouldn't cry back,
1: which was not yeah. him.
2: It was not him. Mm. Um it was horrifying. It was frankly really horrifying to watch your child change so yeah. dramatically. And and him being so far away we didn't we didn't see him often. It wasn't like he was at, you know, temple and we could see him frequently. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we could see these huge changes in him physically and, and emotionally and mentally. Um, and so it wasn't until, um, and sorry, I'm getting a little too, maybe too much in the weeds here, but it wasn't until oh, friends of his shout out to any young people willing to tell their friend's parents the truth. Oh. Man, this changed the safe Daniel. It changed everything for all of us because we parents, um, we're kind of the last ones to really fully get it. Yes. We see it, but, you know, we kind of get used to this. This progression. This is progressive. This substance use thing can be progressive if it's going to become a problem. And we progressed right along with their progression. So what we make excuses for initially, we kind of get used to that. And yeah, yeah. we were making those excuses. Oh, he got the wind knocked out of his sails because he's not studying architecture anymore. He's just down because it wasn't the right school for him. It had nothing to do mm. with all of that. He was addicted to drugs. And these friends, 21-year-old guy, this is Daniel's now 20, his friend is 21. These are friends of his from childhood, called me and said, um, John, John was his roommate. John and I are really worried about Daniel's drug use. And I still have the yellow piece of paper where I wrote down all the things they told me because Daniel had just visited, visited his dealer, went to see them and gave them, you know, he, they saw it all. He was snorting ketamine, he was using all kinds of club drugs, ecstasy, Molly, MDMA, um, mushrooms, dabbling in methamphetamine, um, tons of cannabis and, and Adderall and all the other amphetamines that I mentioned my head was spinning Mm. i can still feel my body temperature going up while i was talking to this Mm. this lovely young man who just was so brave um and you know parents you know they say can lift a bus off their kid if they had to sure had adrenaline hits yeah so i Mm -hmm. just like jumped into um finding resources and, and got really lucky. I won't get into all the steps it took, but got really lucky to be Mm -hmm. in touch with an interventionist. Someone told me that's what you're going to need. And they were so right. Um, So we had a professional interventionist. She was crucial to helping us understand what we needed to do differently. Um, And, and so we did an intervention with the two guys from childhood that the ones that outed them, were there for the intervention, so there was no denial on his part. He couldn't say you're, you're you got it wrong, you're, you're misunderstanding, you're exaggerating. They saw everything. That was huge. Um, and here's Anna, my 18 year old. Still, she's waiting to hear from colleges. You know, like it, it was it was such a tumultuous time. My father-in-law was in hospice care. It, it was just rough. Um, thank God Daniel agreed to go to treatment. That was March. Um, 13th 2010. He's been sober ever since. Which is not always the case. It's frequently not the case that they get it on the first try. Um, I think what was he, important for him was he really stayed with um, a, a recovery community. But what was important on our part, and I don't take any credit for his recovery. Trust me, I don't. But what was important for us to do was find our path into recovery and not get in his way Mm -hmm. and trust that the guys and i mean guys that he was meeting in treatment those people that he connected with in the early days that needed to be his support system we could be there to um you know consider funding his aftercare or whatever Um, making some of these kinds of things happen. But we really needed him to find his own resources. You know, they say, teach your child to fish. Don't give them the fish, teach them the fish. He needed to know who to call when he felt like getting high. One time he told me he felt like getting high. And I said, thank God I was was getting my own support because I learned to say, why would you tell your mommy that you want to get high? (laughs) You know, talk to somebody who who understands this, who's not going to go bury my head in the pillow and cry because mm-hmm. my plan might relapse you know so right I had a lot to learn as did he oh so, and so that was a really well no it's no. no it's all good no but, I think
0: it's good because I uh, live this reality and my question to you yeah. is going to be what were the because you know for us in the field we always say you know and teach that addiction is a family disease right so I like that you shared that you know There's a piece of treatment and recovery, but your whole family's in recovery, right? In a sense, like, and so you had to get your own resources. So what were the ways that you, or resources that you used to learn how to set those boundaries, let go of control, like hope he can do it on his own? And also how did that feel? Because of course, you know, Ah. that, it's just, it's, it's just sounds hard.
1: Moms, you (laughs) want to, well, we want to fix everything and and, and do it.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Great. Great question. So fear is my number one um, challenge, you know, with, with this, because That's once good. you know that your child is addicted to drugs and alcohol, yeah. you're scared. You want the glue next I to you every mean,
0: second. You're like, I need eyes on you. I need to make sure ah, you're okay all the time. I'm sure.
2: Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there, from the moment our child comes into our life, we are their advocate we have to be we have to learn oh they keep getting strep throat i better read up about strep throat or infections. why do they need a tube or whatever you know like this is what we do and when exactly do we stop doing that like where's that line that okay now it's not my job anymore you know we're Mm -hmm. always once you're a parent you're a parent for life but it can look different and and so um what we had and thank god we not only had that great interventionist. Daniel went to a great treatment center that had a family education program. So that was number one: was getting educated, learning that this wasn't because we were bad parents, that this wasn't something that we could have changed necessarily, um, but that um, there's, there are genetic components. We, we educate about this all the time. You know, there are things that come into. We needed to understand that. And with regard to boundaries, which is such an important topic. Thank you, Christy, for bringing that up. Um, it up. It is um, one of my favorite expressions that I use a lot is, this, should this have my fingerprints on it? And my friend, Pam, who's my mentor, says, if it's not your ball, don't pick it up. Wow. So if my son, is now in early, if it, you know, like when he was in early recovery, if, okay, here's a perfect example. He, he's been a skier his whole life, really good skier. And um, when he was about, I guess, maybe eight or nine, six or eight or nine months sober, um, he was living in the Poconos in a recovery house. Um, well, by this time, he moved out of the recovery house, but with sober friends, um, going to meeting AA meetings like crazy, um, kind of loving it, you know, kind of finally admitting he has this disease and embracing it and working a program. But he wanted to go skiing. And we had learned from our support group, which I'll talk more about in a second, from our marriage and family therapist, who his dad and I saw to help us, and this guy knows addiction. He's in recovery. This is his specialty. He's an he's marriage and family therapist, but his whole focus is, actually, it was Rick Shugart, who was just on our program last week with Chester County. Right. Um, we love Rick, right. and and that's who Michael and I could go to see. Rick helped us with those, like I remember we would say to him, you know, we never really sat him down and explained how to balance a checkbook or any of that. I guess we have to, you know, he's 21, 22 now. And he's like, why do you think that's your job now? Like, he's got a sponsor. He's got adult males in his life from that house that he was living at in recovery. And he's got all these other friends. He's got a boss. You know, he can he can go to an AA meeting and say, if after the meeting, if somebody could come and talk to me, I need some help with finances or whatever. Mm-hmm. They, people love doing service. they'll They'll help him out. And so it it helped so much for us to realize, like, you know, we did the best we could first uh, through eighteen. We did the very best we could, mm-hmm. and and again, teach them to the fish. Help them figure out like where to find out how to get this kind of help. Let them make the phone call to see if their health insurance is going to cover the dental appointment or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, let's give them those opportunities to build tools to 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 learn these kinds of ways to to self advocate. Yep. And to take on that adult role
0: too. Like it's it's, it's shifting into that more self you know, independent adult role.
2: Adulting. Absolutely. (laughs) And and where the fear came in was: I'm afraid if if life's too hard for him, he's going to want to get high. Well, guess what? Life is hard. He has to make the decision to not get high again. He's got to figure that out. If I'm doing the heavy lifting for him, mm-hmm. he's not building that muscle.
1: Yeah. So yeah, perfect. That's perfect
2: a example was when he wanted to go skiing and he said, but I don't have enough money for that. He was working like for a big, ba- a bakery, you know, he, he made enough money to pay rent in a house and share with you guys in the Poconos, which was $300 a month. Yep. Not bad. You know, so he could, he felt so good. He was paying his rent. He was paying his little cable bill, you know, it felt, empowering but now he needed money to go skiing and I knew I shouldn't give him cash because I knew from my support group I knew from Rick and I knew from the advice I was getting that you can't be giving somebody cash who's in early recovery so when I said no that's how scared I was and this this is the time that he said to me he was he was mad you know he was he was like "Mm, it's just easier when I could just go out and get high and I and I took a breath And I, man, that was my trigger. And I said, you know what, Daniel, I can't hear that. That is very hard for me to hear. And I'm not the one you should be telling this to. If you feel like getting high, you need to call your sponsor. He got quiet. I got, I I was like holding my breath. We kind of said our goodbyes. I burst into tears after the phone call. and He called me back 10 minutes later and apologized. Uh I'm not going to get high. I was manipulating you. Like, oh my God, this is somebody working a program. Like, he yeah. he, he recognized when he probably yeah. did call his sponsor and was like, you need to call your mother and tell her you're sorry. You know, I mean, yeah. Wow. It wasn't until years later that Daniel said to me, I don't know if you remember this phone call, but I bring it up all the time. I'm like, oh, Daniel, so do I. <laughs> it
0: was like a bad moment for us. You yeah. know, it
2: um, is. I could see that, but- though,
0: just sitting there and being on the phone and in your head, you're going, Well, would it be a big deal if I gave him the money to rent the skis or whatever? It's something fun for him to do and he enjoys it and he should be able to do fun things. But then you're like, well, is it my job to give him the funding and he needs to figure it out on his own? And and I'm sure you just like, I mean, I would just hold my breath waiting. And then he calls you back and apologizes and says the thing and you're like, validation. I'm doing it. It's happening. I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was. It was huge. It
2: was absolutely huge and I mentioned the support groups. This is really, really, really important to, to me, um, for anybody out there who is starting to see some changes in their level, and particularly their yeah. child. Um, don't be afraid to connect. It's, it's completely anonymous. So, so there are meetings that are, um, like Al-Anon and Nar-Anon. If most mm-hmm. people are familiar with AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a twelve-step program, there are actually 120 different kinds of 12-step programs huh. today. Wow! Um, two of them are Al-Anon and Nar-Anon. There's also Families Anonymous and Codependents Anonymous. These are all for us who care about someone who struggles with substances um, or other things. Um, and um, parent support groups, though, are different in that we encourage people to check those, those Al-Anon and Nar-Anon out. Mm-hmm. The 12-step programs, but but in those meetings. There's something called crosstalk, which means if I share something I'm going through, then Christy, you can't comment on what I just shared. You know, that's that would be crosstalk. So that's a great exercise
1: mm. in, in
2: that in that format. But parents kind of sometimes we need crosstalk. We need to say, I don't know what to do about this situation. And yeah. we try to avoid advice giving but it's still sharing experience, but it's, it's in response to your challenge. So if I say, yeah. you know, we let him use our old car, but now that he's in treatment, we took it away. Now he wants it back. I don't know what to do. Somebody can say like, well, we let them market have, and it was too soon, whatever, you know, you just share yeah. it and we, we need that back and forth. So these support groups have grown so much. Um, that And just recently, we we're so excited that many of them that were already existing kind of came under our umbrella. So we have this, um, the original group in Hapro um, 10 years ago was called Parent Partnership as an adjunct, as a, as a supplement to be a part of the conversation. There are now on our website 15 of these meetings taking place wow. every week that are called Parent Partnership. So they're, they're based out of the five county area um actually six cuz there're a couple in Lehigh Valley as well. Um but um they're mostly on Zoom right now. But they're all on our website and I'd be happy to share that with you guys. Oh yeah. Um, but
0: they'll link it up in the show notes and I'm making a list of stuff to mention that we'll put links with.
2: Perfect. Yeah. These meetings yeah. are just amazing. We need each other. We we need mm-hmm. therapy in many cases ourselves, especially when the, the um parents aren't on the same page we really need that kind of support therapeutically but we Mm -hmm. also need connections to other parents who've been through this we might have the best friends in the world and I do who are lovely and wonderful and supportive and love my kid and love me that's awesome they haven't been where I've been you know and I I need to be with other parents who know that fear who know what my triggers are what my my struggles are and and get it and help me
0: We have more to discuss. We'll be right back. Hey, Karen. Oh, my gosh. I had so much fun at our Snowball Shuffle Run Walk. Hey, Chrissy. It was a blast.
3: Did you know we had over
0: 200 people attend and we raised over $25,000? That's amazing. This success wouldn't have been possible without our sponsors and the support from our community.
3: Yep. A big shout-out to Hankin Group for hosting us at Eagleview.
0: We are also thankful for the generosity of our Nor'easter sponsor, Citadel, and our Blizzard sponsor, Brumbaugh Wealth Management. Karen, can you tell me the other sponsors again?
3: There are so many. AGC, Sonara Today, the UPS Store, Bentley, Embark, Kraft School Bus, Miller's Insurance Agency, WBYA, Ethos, First Resource Bank, Lionville Natural Pharmacy, Maracay Run Club, State Farm Ed Hart, United Tire, The Right Agency, Wegmans, and United Way of Chester County for donating event bags.
0: Wow, that's a lot of sponsors. We also have to give a big thank you to the local businesses that donated items for our raffle and team prizes.
3: Yes, all of the money raised will help us continue to fulfill CTC's mission and support all our programs for youth and parents.
0: We also have to thank our team captains, donors, volunteers, and everyone who participated. You could really feel the positive energy and sense of community that day.
3: We hope to see everyone next year at our second Snowball Shuffle. Shuffle,
1: shuffle, shuffle,
3: shuffle, shuffle, shuffle.
1: shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. You know, Kim, when I was listening to your story and I was trying, Christy, I know you were taking notes and I was but I was thinking like, oh, my goodness, the, the high points or when you kept, you did say a few times lessons learned, like we learned this, we learned that. And I think that for me, with adult children, myself, 27 and 24, um, I, I I always go back to one of the first things that you said is, you know, we were a family who. So, you know, we, we kind of checked a lot of boxes in my house, you know, because we were the family who, you know, whether it was, um, um, you know, education or Uh, What all the things, enrichment things that we do for kids and all of that, and we communicate and we have positive relationships. And I remember um, I was always big saying, you know, we have to have family dinner because the research says that families who have dinner together, it's a protective factor. It reduces um, the likelihood that your child would engage in alcohol, tobacco or other drugs. And I can remember at the time my, my daughter was you know, somewhere upper elementary school and was sitting there looking at a watch or whatever it was. And I was like, what are you doing? She says, have we been here long enough? Have we sat at this table long enough and had this meal so that I won't go and use drugs? <laughs> and, you know, and I was, the, you know, and I would come home and say things like I was listening to NPR. <laughs> or I was reading, and my my kids, their eyes would roll back in their head. They were like, can you please stop? Can you not listen? Because every time you read something, learn something, go to a conference, it ends up back on us, yeah. and we become your guinea pigs for us. But, you know, I, I, I want to say that, you know, we checked a lot of boxes, and um, things still happen for yeah. my in my family. And I think that that took some getting used to that. I thought we were on the ship right, as Christy would say. I thought we were ship right. we were good. We were good. We had the guardrails up. We were. We had all the protective factors, and it's a little bit disheartening, you know, and disappointing. And then, as a professional, you're like, "How did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. How, how did I? What, you know?" So it, there's there's guilt, and there's a, a lot of other stuff that feeds into this formula too. So I appreciate was you went through those, you know, sort of these lessons learned, mm-hmm. and how powerful and helpful that is to be able to have those conversations with their parents who. Are on the other side, perhaps, or not. They're just in the weeds of going through it right now. So I appreciate that because that, to me, was Absolutely. a is a powerful message.
0: But are there mm-hmm. other things that that you could recommend? Or thinking back, oh well, maybe like things that came to you as far as signs to just ask about. But I th- and it's I think it's also hard to, from what I hear from parents of adolescents, that um, it's just also can be a hard time to talk to your kid too. Like so, it's helpful mm-hmm. to be present and to be around, but you know that balance of those two things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, especially for the, for, for younger kids, um, I would say, um, I love the idea of listening more than talking as a parent, you know, like really hearing what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, when we do that program that I mentioned earlier for K through five parents, a couple of things that we always like to mention, first of all, across the board, this doesn't necessarily apply to young, the kids that young, but no serving alcohol to minors, period. Yeah just hard hard stuff like no 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 um and also thinking about modeling that and so if we're over 21 and we don't have a problem with alcohol or other drugs then if we're consuming alcohol obviously that's permitted it's legal it's 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 acceptable god knows but but what is the language we're using with it so if we're pouring a glass of wine or grabbing a beer you know rather than say, like, mama needs her juice or whatever, or, you know, like it's been a really hard day, you know, trying to liquor without language and not glorifying it. When the family or or friends come to the house for a cookout or anything, it's the first thing we say, what what are you drinking, you know? I mean, maybe just thinking, especially when the kids are watching, obviously on your own time as adults, it's up to you. But when your kids are watching, they model us. We were kids. We know we wanted to be big, tough adults, and, you know, we practiced smoking candy cigarettes or whatever it was oh, yeah. and drinking alcohol, yeah. and was right up there, you know, with wanting to be a, a grown-up, you know. So um, I, I've seen parents kind of put so much um, uh, emphasis on uh, alcohol in their social life and they're going to sporting events, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So modeling really, yeah. really um, good good exercise at, at practice there would be great. Things like family dinner, you know, putting down the, the cell phones, those kinds of things. We didn't have that happening when I was raising my kids, but I know it's certainly a thing yeah. now. Um, getting outside together is huge. Um, having times, and I'm sure many parents have heard this before, but like having, having times to talk about difficult subjects. If, if your child, you're noticing that they don't seem comfortable with eye contact, being in the car facing forward, yes. being outside taking a walk. Yes. Those kinds of opportunities, and again, listening more than talking, um, and not having a huge reaction when we hear something we don't like.
0: Hold your face. We, That's me. I'm like, hold, hold my your face. face.
2: Hold that face. <laughs> have that poker face. Because yeah. If we are starting to like, oh, you know, like have uh-huh. this, this, what we didn't. What were you thinking? You know, one. What's going to make them keep talking if we? Show show judgment, you know, uh, that they, -hmm. they, you know, were disappointed in them or something. So just to listen, take a breath. Um, One of our favorite expressions, and we hear this in our survey responses, people love this, is the acronym WAIT, which stands for Why Am I Talking? Yes. Put that oxygen mask on yourself, take a few breaths, and think about it because, you know, you can then talk to the other parents, get on the same page, say, you know how we talked earlier and you said that your friend let you try that vape pen? You know, we'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that, you know, and have, have be prepared for how, you know, even if you're not completely unified behind the scenes with, with the other parent, present a unified friend with your child. Yeah, they absolutely. need to be, find some common ground that you can present to your child. Um, and please mm-hmm. don't vilify the kid that gave you the vape, that gave your kid the vape pen. You know, because they might think they walk on water, <laughs> you know, so if you qualify right. them. They're not going to mm-hmm. talk to you about Joey from mm-hmm. down the street anymore. We want them to yeah. talk with us. So when we have those big reactions, we're shutting it down, you know, so being open to that. And then why did you want to try it? What did it feel like? Right. That's what right. could you have done? What will you do the next mm. time? you know, let's talk that through, let's um, practice what you'll say. Who Who is your best friend that you can trust that you can practice with them? I love that. Somebody suggested that not too long ago. I love that idea of having peers yeah. work together, their friends that they trust work together to have language, do refusal skills, you know, when they're offered something like that. Um, oh, an emotional vocabulary is something huge. So even having, we have this handout Or kids that um, have all kinds of words like um, frustrated, worried, excited, overstimulated, whatever. So these are all like emotions. And and we could just pick out one of those a day or a couple of weeks or something like that to say, what do you think? Can you use this in a sentence? What does it mean to you? Or which of these words are you feeling right now? So giving our kids these Mm -hmm. tools to express their emotions can be really useful and encouraging that. And I'll give you one more and I'll shut up. I'm talking so much. I'm no, sorry. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I love, but, um, that this great idea of um, modeling for our kids self, self um, soothing. So, um, and this works a lot with technology and all that kind of stuff. So to say mm-hmm. to your child, I am so stressed out, you know, you might've heard me talking about this thing at work, whatever. I'm, Do you want to go and take a walk with me? You know, it's looking oh. outside for a while so that they kind of will build that, you know, like that's what you do when you're stressed. Yeah. Or I can't look at my screen anymore. Do you wanna play monopoly mm-hmm. with me? You know. Um again, modeling that and showing that this is I how like adults handle their stress, you know, and and that's great thing. kind of like narrating
0: yeah. your feelings or your experience and then yeah. showing and I and I think that's the other I'm sure you've heard this before I don't know who the original person that came up with this is but like with feelings name it to tame it so it's like you got to name that feeling like stop and think okay I'm feeling really anxious right now or I'm feeling really stressed it just helps to either for your yeah. kids for yourself yeah. or I do this myself I'm like Okay, just name it to tame it and then wait. (laughs) Don't say it, like take a breath. Like really trying to slow everything down a little bit, slow the pace down is helpful. Right.
2: And I lied, I have one more thing. So one more thing that I think is is (laughs) foundational, foundational is always um, watching our language when we talk about someone who has a substance use problem. Mm -hmm. So uh, celebrities can provide a perfect opportunity to practice this. You know, when you hear that someone has to fall from grace, I remember many, many years ago when Robert Downey Jr. was still yeah. in active addiction and we heard about really you know, humiliating things that he went through in his active addiction. Um, if, and if it's, you know, Lindsay Lohan, I don't know, whoever, you know, do yeah. we talk about them using derogatory language like train wreck or anything like that? Please, please, oh. please let's shift that to, wow, she clearly needs a lot of support. She, I hope her family is um there for her you know and um it because this is something that can be happening mm-hmm. to our kids best friend or their big brother you know yeah. and if we're using derogatory language about people who've been drinking too much and this is very tempting if it's a family member if it's and i hear this a lot about from adult siblings so if you're an adult you're worried about your child substance use and then you remember like how your sister always embarrassed you with her drinking or your brother oh. was addicted to painkillers. Siblings especially hold a lot of resentment and project that and like, you know, will use really negative language about that family member. So A, there are genetics at play here. Mm-hmm. So we don't, you know, just like if, if a family member has hypertension or diabetes or heart disease or anything else like that, we would hopefully say, guys, we have this in our family. So we got yep. to watch our diet and exercise. If we have a family member who drinks too much mm-hmm. or knocked over a lamp at the Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, we have this in our family too. So we want to be yeah. thoughtful and supportive and encourage transparency. Mm. Our kids mm. see that. Mm. You know, Kristen, your kids are old enough already to notice that kind of behavior yep. and be a little worried about it when they see somebody acting in a way that they're not comfortable. Um, okay. So say, like, you know, how you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Did you, you know, well, sometimes Aunt Lisa has this thing happen, kind of like some, your friends can't have peanuts because they're mm. allergic. She has a reaction. She has a, a drink of wine or beer or whatever. Her brain has the reaction It says more more, more please, you know, so that can happen. So we have to be really careful about alcohol or other drugs, you know, so it's a teachable moment.
1: Hey, that's a really great point. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, no, go ahead, yeah. no, I was just going to say that what's so great about that language. And I think it's just so important because I can think of a thousand examples, whether it's in your personal family or Kim, as you were saying, just in, you know, what's happening in society where people use that language, use those words. And then also that genetic piece And that we, again, and how do you, how do you present that? Like, I just find that like very incredibly helpful to be careful of, of how we do that and just have to really think about the words that are coming out of our mouth at that time. So I appreciate that. That was very helpful. Yeah, I was going to say, just just switching that language
0: to be more compassionate and look at it as if someone is, you know having substance use disorder, right, or addiction, and we're kind of shifting even the language to say substance use disorder, you know, it's a chronic disease, and it's the same as any other chronic disease. Like, so it should be, you know, having compassion, because we know that there's resources out there, there's treatment out there, the same as there is for all these other chronic diseases, like diabetes and cancer and everything. So kind of shifting, Mm -hmm. reframing that mindset really does make a difference. Because, hey, I mean,
1: absolutely.
0: here's the deal. I mean, substance use disorder is it's, I would be hard-pressed to find a group of three, four, or five people in here that would, if you ask the question, how many people in here have been affected hmm. or have someone that's a friend or a family member that might have substance use disorder, that at least three to four of those people wouldn't raise their hand. Um, oh, and- Sure you know, right. so absolutely. Okay. So we kind of went over some tips, but just, just thinking of if I can ask you just for, we want to end every episode with take action tips, but I feel like you kind of gave us all of the take yeah. action tips. I don't know if there's They're any, good. any standing out for like adolescence or elementary, but you, you gave us a long laundry list. You didn't just give us one, you gave us probably well over a dozen. Um, yeah,
2: extremely helpful. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. I I guess the only other one, and I I was really focusing on those younger years, but I think also even for an adolescent, Mm -hmm. um, I loved what um, an adolescent treatment provider shared with me one time. She said, um, a good question to ask is, or phrase to use is, help me to understand dot, dot, dot. So if you're seeing your son or daughter, particularly a teenager, who is isolating or their friend group just really changed or they're smelling funky and you're pretty sure something's going on. When you say, help me to understand your, and she even uses body language where her hands are open and, you know, you're just, body language is huge, you know, so not having mm-hmm. arms folded over our chest, which is, you know, shut off, I'm not I'm upset, whatever, but to have our hands open and say, help me to understand. So it empowers our child to To help us understand what they're going through. And again, having that that non-judgmental you know guys on our face and and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So really hearing it, taking it in, not reacting, um, but just taking it in and even reflective listening, right? So, okay, so it sounds like if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is, you know, so kind of using that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in some cases, I hear from parents a lot. Your child is not very communicative verbally, so it could be leaving a note for them. Help me to understand that and leave the rest of the page page blank for them to fill out, you know, like write something down. So these are some ways that you maybe could um, begin a conversation. Or um, also, if they're not comfortable talking to you, um, therapy is not punishment. Therapy is um, a gift if if you can give that to Mm -hmm. your child. Yay! You know there are more and more people taking insurance these days. Um, I'm 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 not feeling like so. If I save my child, I'm not feeling like I I can be the most help to you that you need right now. I would love to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody who really understands this kind these kinds of struggles. You know, it is not punishment. It is a, a beautiful thing to do for our child. So. Um, to give them that chance, and that I don't need to know anything that you guys talk about, mm-hmm. you know, because it might it really hard for them. There's so much going on with sexuality and all kinds of things right now that our kids are dealing with. Um, so, yeah, to give them those opportunities.
1: Yeah.
0: Thank you, Kim, so much for sharing yeah. your story with us and, and all of these. So many tips, so many things, and I'll link everything, things that we mentioned. I have my little list, um, so that'll be included in the show notes for this. It should be in whatever anyone is listening to this on, um, to tap links. Um, can we, you just share with us where we can find you, where we can find, be a part of the conversation, all of the handles and websites mm-hmm. and all of those things.
2: Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so our, our website is conversation.zone, Z-O-N-E. And my email is kim at So that's easy. Um, and the page that I was talking about with um, the meetings for parent support groups, that parent partnership, is just conversation.zone slash partnership. Okay. So that's where we can okay. find all of and that. Are you guys on social
0: um, media? All the. Yes,
2: yeah, Convozone, C O N B O Z O N E. Convozone is our handle on Twitter and Instagram. And then on Facebook, you just search will be a part of the conversation and find Mm us. Yeah, and by the way, anybody can reach out to me at any time, I'm a certified family recovery specialist today and and I have been for a number of years now, but um, so that does not make me a therapist. I just provide peer support, I'll help connect families with any kinds of resources they might need. And our website, I just mentioned a few things. Our website has a tremendous amount of information. Mm So um, hopefully a lot of questions can be answered there. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. been really yeah. nice. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Kim, thank you so much, especially for our, our first uh, episode of our series <laughs> Parent to Parent. And I know, Kim, that you'll be joining us on many upcoming programs and, and opportunities that we'll be sharing for parents um, in our community. So, again, thank you for, for being with us today.
2: Thank you.